You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Garland, Texas, November 2011. 54-year-old Kelly Martin and her husband Don, like many, were decorating the family home, ready for the festive period. Don was a police officer and Kelly a teacher. They had been together since college and had two daughters, Lauren and Caitlin. While grabbing boxes down from the attic, Kelly missed a step on the ladder, tripping and falling. She instantly felt a twinge in her back. The pain was bad, but she got through the holidays hoping it was just a pulled muscle or a trapped nerve, and that it would pass. But when it became obvious it was far more than this, she made a trip to her doctor. This small misstep on the ladder had resulted in a herniated disc in her back. Physical therapy, painkillers, muscle relaxers weren't enough, and eventually her doctor recommended a fantastic neurosurgeon new to the area, Dr Christopher Dunch. Incredibly well-respected, highly sought-after and praised by many of the doctors, it was a no-brainer to pay him a visit. Dr Dunch put Kelly and Don at ease right away, saying it was no problem at all, a very routine surgery, likely no more than 45 minutes. In fact, it was about the simplest operation a neurosurgeon could perform, he said. Have you ever had any bad outcomes or deaths on your surgeries, Kelly asked. He replied, no, knock on wood. And with this, her surgery was scheduled for March 2012. The day came around and Don waited patiently in the waiting area, but the 45 minutes Dr Dunch said it would take would soon pass. Then it was an hour, then an hour and a half. It was almost at double the time now and Don was starting to get worried. He asked one of the nurses to go and check and about 20 minutes later, Dr Dunch came out. He said the surgery went well and Kelly was moving around, but was in a lot of pain, so he upped the medicine. He said she may have to go up to the ICU and stay overnight, but she was going to be okay. Don was told he couldn't go and see his wife as they were still working on her, a phrase that sent a shiver down his spine. Don said something in his gut was telling him it was all off. He called Lauren and Caitlin and said they should come up. Two hours later, Don and his daughters were still waiting around and panicking. They suddenly saw the ICU physician, Dr Dunch, and the anaesthesiologist walking towards them. The looks on their faces told the story before they even opened their mouths. The words no one wanted to hear. We did everything we could. Kelly Martin had died. How had such a simple, routine operation gone so devastatingly wrong? Don said Dr. Dunch never said a word, not even looking at the three of them. They were told by the ICU physician that it had been a medical miscalculation. Records later showed that during the surgery her blood pressure had plummeted and she went a grey colour. As she regained consciousness after the surgery, she began to hit her legs, which had turned an odd colour with splotches on them. Kelly had become so agitated, the nurses had to sedate her. She never woke up. Don said it was pure misery. My world just ended right then and there. He started rocking back and forth, so enraged with emotion he almost lunged at them. I knew something was wrong and I wanted to hurt him, he said of Dr Dunch. 
Caitlin said it was like being in slow motion, and as they said their goodbyes to Kelly, Don asked for some scissors so he could keep a little piece of her hair. They all drove home in silence. The medical examiner confirmed that Kelly had bled to death internally after one of her arteries was completely sliced. Don, Lauren and Caitlin all had a terrible feeling they weren't getting the full story. Something about Dunch was not sitting well with them and they wanted answers. But what had happened to Kelly Martin was sadly just the beginning and soon a huge can of worms would start to open. But as always, sometimes you must go backwards slightly to move forwards. Born in 1971 in Montana, Christopher Daniel Dunch had originally set his sights on playing football. One of his teammates remembered him as not being very good at following orders and struggling with the most basic of drills, but someone that came back every practice trying to get it right. He made multiple transfers and moved around so much that he was told this had taken away his eligibility to play professionally. He realised his football dream was over and suddenly made a drastic change. He abruptly switched to a career in medicine. In 1995, he received his undergraduate degree from the University of Memphis before getting his MD there too. He excelled in medical school to such a point that he was allowed to join the Alpha Omega Medical Honor Society and started working with Russian scientists on research programs, gaining $3 million in funding. He started his surgical residency at the University of Tennessee and was soon running two labs. He was described as a charming, smooth-talking and witty guy with a glowing 12-page resume. He had many people speaking highly of him and seeking him out. But despite all of his successes and accolades, things were slowly starting to unravel and it was becoming clear that all was not as it appeared. His resume boasted that he had earned a doctorate in microbiology from the prestigious St Jude's Children's Research Hospital, but there was no such programme running at the hospital at that time. He also claimed to have gotten his PhD from the University of Tennessee Health Center, but he appears in no yearbooks from the university during that period. The school declined to verify his claims, citing a federal privacy law. Since college, he had been a drug user and a big drinker, but during his residency was when his drug use started to escalate. He was frequently taking LSD, cocaine, and illegally getting his hands on prescription painkillers. His ex-girlfriend Megan initially thought that this was just something he did occasionally, but it was clearly not the case. After a full night of drug-taking, drinking vodka and no sleep, Megan said he grabbed his scrubs and walked into work ready to talk to patients. She was horrified. His choice of drug was cocaine, although when he would come down after binges, he would rely on Oxycontin, Xanax and alcohol. Many said he would start his days off with a vodka and orange juice and a line of cocaine. One of his friends would later talk about just how out of control his drug use was and several nurses said they saw him taking cocaine right before he went into surgery. But Dunch joked about it, calling them his neurostimulants, believing it made him better and more alert in theatre. Um, there's been LSD, there has been cocaine, there has been pills. How long did this party, this drug party, go on that night? All night to the next day. Okay, till the sun came up? Well beyond the sun came up because Chris had to go to work the next day. And he went. After he was reported, he was asked to take a drugs test, which he refused to do. He was subsequently sent to an impaired physician program. 
In a deposition, slurring and not really concentrating, Dunch pleaded the fifth over and over again when asked about using drugs whilst working with patients. Have you ever been under the influence of cocaine while you were taking care of a patient? I take the fifth, I take the fifth, I take the fifth, I take the fifth. Despite the complaints, refusal to participate in tests, and after completing less than 100 surgeries, whereas it is typical for a resident to perform closer to 1,000, he was still allowed to finish his residency. In 2011, he was headhunted to join the Minimally Invasive Spine Institute in North Dallas with a $600,000 advance. Not long after, he was given surgical rights at the Baylor Regional Medical Center in Plano on a $50,000 a month salary. The recommendation that landed him the job had read, Chris is extremely bright and possibly the hardest working person I have ever met, adding he had an excellent work ethic. For hospitals, surgeons are worth millions in revenue, on average about $2.5 million per year, and it is not uncommon to get operating privileges at other hospitals, hence the reason Dunch was able to get a string of these across Dallas. Only a couple of months after he had finished his training, Dunch met another surgeon called Dr. Randall Kirby, a man that would play a key role in this story. Kirby said the first conversation he had with Dunch revolved around him telling him he was the best surgeon in Dallas and the only one a patient could trust. He said he wanted to clean the town up and was quite aggressive with his delivery. Kirby was taken aback with his level of arrogance, knowing how new he was to this game. Other doctors saw the same outbursts, but put his cockiness down to the fact he was just a really talented surgeon, and he knew it. Opinions soon changed, however, when the only surgery he actually performed at the Minimally Invasive Spine Institute resulted in him being asked to leave. After the surgery was done, he immediately went on a trip to Las Vegas to party and left no one to look after his distressed patient. His drug use wasn't slowing down and he would write many long emails to another ex-girlfriend and his surgical assistant Kimberly, saying some very unhinged things, likely due to intoxication. One email read in part, I really am building an empire. Anyone close to me thinks that I likely am something between God, Einstein and the Antichrist. Because how can I do everything I want and cross every discipline boundary like it's a playground and never lose? I am ready to leave the love and kindness and good and patience that I mix with everything else that I am and become a cold-blooded killer. In more emails, he referenced his drug and alcohol abuse. These emails were full of swearing, threats and rambling and abusive language. The emails themselves are too long to read in full, but they are interesting and present a small insight into his mind, so we have linked them in the description box if anyone wants to take a closer look. In December 2011, shortly before Kelly Martin approached him, Christopher had operated twice on a man called Ken Fennell. He was his first patient in North Texas. The surgery didn't help fix his back pain, as Dunch had operated in the wrong area, a mistake he admitted, but one he said he would correct with a second surgery. Ken, desperate to fix his pain, agreed. When Ken woke up the second time around, he described his legs as like a bonfire burning him. Something had gone wrong during the second surgery, but he had no idea what, and he left hospital relying heavily on a motorised wheelchair from that point on. Dunch's next patient was Lee Passmore, and he was actually an investigator in the Collin County Medical Examiner's Office. He had undergone back surgery once before, but his pain had come back. Without missing a beat, Lee's pain specialist recommended Dr. Dunch. The surgery was booked right away, 
a vascular surgeon called Mark Hoyle assisted with the operation. Dr Hoyle watched in horror as Dunch began to cut out a ligament around the spinal cord that should never have been touched. Right away, Lee started bleeding so profusely, Hoyle said the operating room was like a lake of red. Dunch not only left some hardware in Lee's spine, he also stripped the screw so it could not be moved. Unable to watch any more, Dr Hoyle said he blocked the incision area to try and stop Dunch from carrying on. We need to talk about this, he said, locking eyes with Dunch. That's dangerous, even that attitude is dangerous. I've done 5,000 of these and I've never seen this done before. For the arrogant and careless surgeon, it was not enough to stop him. Hoyle said he left the operating room and vowed to never work with the surgeon ever again. Lee Passmore did survive the ordeal, but lives with chronic pain and has a lot of trouble walking and balancing. The next patient to have his life irreparably changed was Barry Morgoloff. Spending his life unloading trucks, his back was now in pain all the time. The only recommendation he got was Dr Dunch, but Barry wasn't sure, nervous about getting surgery, and he spent hours poring over reviews about him and all his awards and accolades. Barry set up a meeting with the surgeon and clicked with him right away. He said he felt calm seeing how confident Dr Dunch was. He said he was a very charming and disarming guy, a loving family man it seemed. Phenomenal, great guy, loved him, Barry said. In January 2012, Barry was wheeled into surgery. The vascular surgeon assisting Dunch was none other than Dr Randall Kirby. Dr Kirby said of the operation, In the spectrum of what a neurosurgeon does for a living, doing this procedure is probably the easiest thing that they do on a daily basis. Kirby watched as Dunch went right in without using the proper tools, grabbing at things that he shouldn't have been, and haphazardly blundering around. Kirby argued with Dunch before changing tack and politely offering to take over the surgery. But Dunch insisted he knew what he was doing. Kirby left, but he was unable to shake this feeling that he had about Dunch, and had had since the day he first met him. Barry woke up from the surgery in agony, a pain unlike anything he'd felt before. It would turn out that there were bone fragments that had been left in Barry's spinal canal. Another surgeon would later try and repair the damage, but Barry has to walk with a cane now, and his doctor said one day he will end up in a wheelchair. At one point, Barry was so depressed and sick that he contemplated taking his own life, believing it was the only way the mental and physical pain would end. Fortunately, his wife and children were able to pull him out of the dark place, and he began some intensive therapy. Dunch's childhood friend and now roommate, Jerry Summers, then approached him to perform a surgery on his back too. He had a herniated disc. The pair would often go out partying together, and Jerry even had access to Dunch's credit cards. To ask his good friend to do this simple surgery seemed like a given. The trust was already there, and Dunch was often talking about how highly in demand he was. But for Jerry, the dream situation would quickly turn into a nightmare. In surgery... He damaged Jerry's vertebral artery, and the bleeding just wasn't stopping. Two litres of blood was soon lost. Dunch packed the area with so much anticoagulant that it squeezed Jerry's spine. When Jerry woke up, he said he couldn't feel anything. 
He had no sensation in either of his arms or legs and was now completely paralysed and would later require 24-7 round-the-clock care. Lying in the ICU, knowing that he was never going to recover, he turned to his girlfriend and said, Kill me, I want to die. Dunch never once came to see his friend, see how he was, or even explain what had happened. In a depressed rage, Jerry told the nurses that Dunch had been taking cocaine the night before he performed the surgery. He later admitted he had just made this up. But knowing his friend and his drug usage, he felt it was a fairly educated assumption. His claim was taken seriously and Dunch was ordered to take a drugs test. The test would never happen, as Dunch claimed he got lost on his way there. He did pass a separate psychological evaluation, and just three weeks later, he was allowed to start operating again, but was instructed to stick to minor procedures. But after this, we come back to Kelly Martin's case. She would be his next patient. After Kelly died, officials ordered Dunch to take another drug test. This time, he took it. The first screening came back as showing it had been diluted with water, and the second, a few days later, was clean. Some while later, Lee, still struggling to work, was allowed to resign from his job at the Collin County Medical Examiner's Office. But before he left, a fax came through that stopped him in his tracks. There were two names at the top of the first page, Kelly Martin and Dr Christopher Dunch. He sat and read what happened to her, shocked at what he was seeing. The cog started turning as he connected the dots between that and his own botched surgery. He went down a rabbit hole and found a few months that were not accounted for in Dunch's educational history. He said you don't get to walk away from two to three years of medical training in the middle of an internship or a residency, get to take time off and be slotted directly in the position you left in, with no questions asked. Maybe that's how they do it in Tennessee, but according to my training, that's not how they do it here. Then it all just started to unravel. Administrators at the hospital put together a comprehensive review of all of Dunch's cases, and each time the same thing had happened. Patterns were showing, and other surgeons were talking. Now, someone was dead. This could not be ignored. After going through everything that had happened in that particular hospital alone, they determined he couldn't continue there. To the shock of the other surgeons and patients, the hospital did not fire him. Instead, they asked him to resign, remaining in good standing, with his last day being in April 2012. Through a letter, Baylor Plano said, All areas of concern with regard to Christopher D. Dunch have been closed. As of this date, there have been no summary or administrative restrictions or suspension of Dunch's medical staff membership or clinical privileges during the time he has practised at Baylor Regional Medical Centre at Plano. The places that had asked him to leave chose to avoid the legalities of a potential wrongful termination and bad press of firing such a highly respected doctor and instead let him quietly resign and move on with no repercussions. And as he technically left of his own choice, this meant that at least two facilities did not have to report him to a database run by the US Department of Health and Human Services. This database is supposed to log information about problem practitioners, warning potential employers about their histories. They also failed to report him to the Texas Medical Board. When some of his patients tried to sue him for malpractice, most of them found it virtually impossible to find attorneys willing to take on their cases. In 2003, Texas enacted tort reform, which reduced the amount of damages plaintiffs could win, with the number of malpractice payouts per year dropping by more than half. In July 2012, Dunch moved right on to the Dallas Medical Center. 
the background check they briefly ran on him, came back clean. In the same month he joined, Dunch operated on 63-year-old Floella Brown, a banker looking forward to retirement. About 30 minutes into the surgery, the bleeding was so bad that Dunch said he couldn't see her spine. Why is it still bleeding, he kept saying. After a few scary moments, it seemed Dunch had got it under control, but nurses in the room were concerned. Although Floella woke up and seemed fine, early the following morning she lost consciousness as pressure was building up inside her brain for reasons that no one could work out. She was in critical condition and it wasn't looking good. While Floella lay in the intensive care unit, with doctors fighting to save her life, Dunch was set to go into another surgery with 71-year-old Mary Eford. Mary was very active and loved working out, but back pain was stopping her from living her life. The surgery was very simple, easily mastered by most first-year residents. Before the surgery started, nurses spotted a hole in Dunch's scrubs right at the back, showing he wasn't wearing underwear. One nurse, Carl Kissinger, said he had seen the same hole for three straight days, and it was clear that Dunch wasn't even changing his scrubs between surgeries. As he stared into Dunch's eyes, he said he had pinpoint pupils and wasn't blinking. It was all very alarming. The surgery for Dunch was more of the same. The operating room staff questioned why he seemed to be drilling into random areas of her back, carelessly and without paying any attention. Soon after the surgery on Mary started, Dunch turned to Kyle and said he wanted to perform a procedure on Floella, called a craniotomy. This involves cutting a hole in the skull to relieve pressure on the brain. Kyle was shocked and said Dallas Medical Center did not perform these, as they didn't have the proper equipment to be able to. Other people in the room were agreeing with what Kyle was saying, trying to talk him out of it. Unfortunately, he backed down. Floella was moved to another hospital, but she never regained consciousness, and her family withdrew her life support a few days later. A neurosurgeon was hired to review her case and death, and would later conclude that Dunch had both pierced and blocked her vertebral artery with a misplaced screw. He also found that he had misdiagnosed the source of her pain in the first place and was operating in totally the wrong area. This had triggered a stroke, which had ultimately claimed her life. Mary Eford woke up from the surgery, the same as the others before her, in total agony. She couldn't move her legs or feel her toes. Dr. Robert Henderson, another important person in this story, was called in to look at her case. He was an extremely talented Dallas spinal surgeon with three decades of experience. He pulled up her post-op x-rays and the first thing he said was, some kind of travesty occurred. Mary was pulled back into surgery the next day with Dr. Henderson operating. There were three holes in Mary's spinal column where Dunch had tried and failed to insert several screws. One screw had hit the nerves that control one leg and the bladder. Dr. Henderson then discovered that Dunch had amputated on one of her nerve roots, for reasons Henderson called inexplicable. The surgery had gone so badly and was so botched, Dr. Henderson wondered if Dunch was some sort of imposter, dressing up and pretending to be a surgeon. He could think of no other reason why this had gone so wrong. Mary Eford now relies on a wheelchair. She has never regained mobility in her legs. She said one of her biggest loves was sewing. She used to do it all the time. But as she can't pick up her foot, she can't do this anymore. Pain is really my life, she said. Dr. Henderson was horrified and took his findings to the hospital administrators, and he and Dr. Kirby both started sharing stories. 
Dr. Kirby had operating privileges at over 60 hospitals across Texas, and wherever he went, someone at some point would come up to him with a story about Dr. Dunch. Thanks to the fuss the pair kicked up, hospital officials told Dunch he would no longer be able to operate at Dallas Medical Center. However, yet again, he wasn't fired or suspended. He was allowed to leave quietly. People were going in for the most simple, routine and standard surgeries and procedures, and they were coming out worse than they went in. And in the case of Kelly Martin and Floella Brown, they weren't coming out at all. It had taken months and multiple catastrophic and fatal surgeries, but finally Dr. Dunch was reported to the state medical board. However, this was not the simple fix surgeons like Dr. Henderson and Dr. Kirby thought. It would take almost a whole year for the board to investigate, all the while Dunch was operating elsewhere. Things went quiet for a little while, until December 2012. Dr. Kirby was asked to assist with a woman called Jacqueline Troy. She had had neck surgery and was now battling a severe infection. Dr. Kirby found that the surgeon who had operated on her had cut her vocal cords and one of her arteries. Is it a guy named Christopher Dunch? he asked. He knew the answer already, and of course the answer was yes. Dunch was finally reported to the National Practitioner Data Bank. But even after the report was filed, Dr. Kirby found that another hospital had given him operating privileges. Although Dunch didn't realise this, Jeff Glidewell would be his last patient. Jeff, always an outdoors-loving man, had had a motorbike accident years before, and his back and neck had never been the same. He had come across Dunch in an advert that was showing the best neurosurgeons in the Dallas area. It's a call that's telling me I'm here to serve It's a need to make a difference in the world 24 hours day or night And hi again, everyone. Jim Knox, along with Candace Kruger. And welcome back to another edition of the Best Docs Network, which, of course, features some of the best doctors in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Dr. Christopher Dunch calls himself the best neurosurgeon in all of Dallas. He specializes in relieving back and neck pain. Then they come back to me to discuss surgical options. Despite everything going wrong for Dunch's patients, it seemed he was still the talk of the town. As a superstitious man, Jeff saw three black cats on the way into the hospital and said his gut told him to turn around. Reassured by his wife, they carried on for the surgery. Hours later, Dunch was nowhere to be found. Three hours after the surgery was supposed to start, Dunch finally turned up in a cab, claiming he had a flat tyre. His jeans were frayed, he was sweaty and dishevelled, and Jeff said he didn't look at all ready for the surgery. His bad feeling grew, but he kissed his wife goodbye and went into the operating room. At this point, unbeknownst to Jeff, the state medical board had been investigating Dunch for about 10 months. During the surgery, Dunch thought that part of Jeff's neck muscle was a tumour and stopped operating on him halfway through. He cut into Jeff's vocal cords, punctured an artery and cut a hole in his esophagus. Dunch used a sponge to stop the bleeding and stitched Jeff back up with the sponge still inside him. 
Dunch came out and told Jeff's wife Robin he had found a tumour confirmed by a quick biopsy and therefore he couldn't possibly carry on. But there was no tumour and there had been no biopsy. Robin went in to see Jeff in the recovery room. (laughs) Jeff was so distressed he couldn't swallow and breathlessly mumbled, where's the doctor, I can't move my arm or my leg. Something's wrong, what did he do to me? Dunch finally showed his face and Jeff, now battling an infection as well, said, I can't move my arms. Dunch replied, well, I don't know what to tell you about that, before strolling off. None other than Dr Randall Kirby was called in to correct the damage and at this point he was quite literally losing his mind. How did this keep happening and when was it going to end? On a scale of difficulty, this was about a 2 out of 10 procedure. He said this was not an operation that was performed. This was attempted murder. It was like a crazed maniac procedure. Dr Kirby went directly to the Texas Medical Board and Robin went to the police. The officer she spoke to said they didn't have the resources to file criminal charges against a doctor. She went back to Dr Kirby, asking if she could contact the medical board too, and a statement was drafted. Jeff Glidewell would leave the hospital months later, partially paralysed and with only one vocal cord. He has nerve damage in one arm and can only eat small bites of food at a time. But Dunch would again move elsewhere. In May 2013, Dr Henderson and Dr Kirby opened up their emails to find an invite to a Meet the New Specialist dinner. University General Hospital was throwing an event to welcome a new neurosurgeon joining their team, Dr. Christopher Dunch. They simply couldn't believe it. This was Dunch's third hospital in 18 months. Dr. Kirby said he picked up the phone right away and called the hospital to, in his words, raise holy hell. He then sent them a six-page letter which read in part, Let me be blunt, Christopher Dunch, Texas Medical Board License Number N8183, is an impaired physician, a sociopath, and must be stopped from practicing medicine. In the letter, Kirby told the hospital they could either address it and do something about it, or he would be calling every media outlet in Texas. With so much talk in the medical community and between family members, the stories were travelling fast. An article was published about him online referring to him as Dr Death and quoted Dr Kirby in all of his findings. Dunch took to the comment section to threaten Dr Kirby if he kept talking. But in this case, there was no such thing as bad publicity because, finally, in June 2013, Christopher Dunch was suspended and ordered to stop operating. A Plano neurosurgeon has his license suspended after the medical board says his negligence resulted in at least two patient deaths. Patients tried to get their medical records from Dr. Christoph Dunch's office today, but they were turned away. Yeah, well, Clarice, those frustrated patients were told by somebody on Dr. Dunch's staff to show up here at his office between 4 and 5 o'clock this afternoon to pick up those medical records. Well, those patients showed up, but as you mentioned, they didn't walk away with anything. And so far, we know that two lawsuits have been filed and at least three more are on the way. Carol McMillan, 
out of luck at Dr. Dunch's office at the Texas Neurological Institute in Plano. Dr. Dunch, seen here on Facebook, was scheduled to perform surgery on her tomorrow. On Wednesday, the Texas Medical Board issued a temporary suspension order of Dunch's license because of imminent peril to public health and cited impairment by drugs or alcohol. Mary Eford claims in her lawsuit she has permanent nerve damage because of Dr. Dunch's negligence. Despite being on the maximum amount of narcotics, that she prayed to God to take her every single day. She cried every single day. 54-year-old Kelly Martin, mother of two and wife of a Garland police officer, died from massive bleeding and is patient number two cited in the suspension order. Dunch has had surgical privileges at several North Texas hospitals, but most recently had them revoked at University General Hospital in Dallas. A temporary suspension uh, really doesn't refer to any specific time frame. It's more of a move that is done uh, fairly quickly by the board when they feel that there is some sort of imminent threat posed by a doctor. I was told that the doctor will have a chance at some point to defend himself before the board, but that would likely happen over a series of hearings. It could take several weeks or even longer. Clarice? Natalie Solis live tonight in Plano. Thank you. Dunch was able to issue some sort of appeal through a lawyer and said he didn't have the time to use drugs or drink, even if he wanted to because he was too busy. He said he was a hard worker and he even threatened to sue Dr. Kirby for slander. He claimed he was at the centre of a vast conspiracy to bilk money from the hospitals where he practised. When asked why it had taken so long for the suspension to happen, the head of the medical board said at the time, it's not uncommon for there to be complications in neurosurgery. None of us rush to judgment, that's not fair, and in the long run, it can come back to be incorrect. To suspend a physician's license, there has to be a pattern of patient injury. So that was ultimately what happened, but it took until June of 2013 to get that established, he added. Can you explain then what happened during those surgeries, please, sir? I talked to a doctor who said that you were like a serial killer. Do you have a response? Yes, I'll deal with that in the context of liable later when I've defended myself. Are you planning to try to practice medicine again? Yes. For doctors Henderson and Kirby, it wasn't good enough. Dr. Henderson said the word suspended implied he might be allowed back at some point, and they couldn't let that happen. Dr. Kirby, Dr. Henderson and another doctor contacted the district attorney, arguing that Dunch was a criminal. They got a meeting, but nothing happened. In December 2013, almost two years since Kelly Martin had died, the medical board permanently revoked Dunch's license. Despite his huge salary, Dunch was now in dire straits financially. He had to file for bankruptcy, owing more than $1 million, and leave Texas, moving in with his parents in Colorado. He would come back and forth to see his two young sons, but it appeared the relationship with his girlfriend Wendy had fallen apart too. A month after moving, he was pulled over by police in the early morning hours. He was driving on the wrong side of the road, with two flat tyres. As soon as they spoke to him, the smell of alcohol was strong, and empty bottles littered the car floor. Dunch was arrested for a DUI and ordered into rehab. In March 2014, police were called in again to a bank in Dallas after people saw a man with blood on his hands and face, banging on the doors and trying to get in. It was Dunch. He was wearing his scrubs and was incoherent, saying something about his family being in danger. 
he was swiftly taken to a psychiatric hospital. After his father had sent him some money, he was caught in a Dallas Walmart, filling a cart with almost $1,000 of watches, sunglasses, computer equipment and cologne. He bagged them up to hide them before picking out some clothes and putting them on in the dressing room. He then headed right for the front door but was stopped by security and arrested for shoplifting. His life was out of control and the wheels were starting to come off. Later that year, Baylor Plano was told a lawsuit had been lodged against them by Ken Fennell and Lee Passmore, swiftly followed by Mary Eford and Barry Mergeloff. Baylor Plano described this as extremely frustrating and difficult, adding that a lot of what had been said about them was misleading, and that they never knowingly allowed one person to compromise the level of quality care they pride themselves on. Jeff Glidewell, still fighting to accept his life was now what it was, but still wanting justice, made a call to a judge with everything he knew about Dunch. This would finally help bring the case back to the district attorney's attention and get the ball moving. We now meet someone else vital in bringing this case to a conclusion. Michelle Shughart, the assistant district attorney. The case instantly piqued her interest, as in her 13 years with the Dallas DA's office, she had never prosecuted a doctor. In fact, from looking at other cases like this, it seemed that no one had ever prosecuted a surgeon for what they had done in the operating room. It would become a case of firsts for many reasons. She began researching everything she could on Dunch, and it was staggering just how much was out there about him. Can you explain then what happened during those surgeries? She issued 800 subpoenas and spoke to over 100 people in person. In July 2015, 46-year-old Christopher Dunch was arrested on five aggravated assault charges, one count of injury to an elderly person, Mary Eford. He was also accused of maiming three patients and causing the deaths of at least two. Tonight with a North Texas doctor charged for what happened in his operating room during surgery. Dr. Christopher Dunch is a neurosurgeon and now faces charges of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, his scalpel. Dunch is accused of butchering patients and botching surgeries of five Dallas area patients who either died or are now scarred for life. News 8's Brett Ship was among the first to expose these allegations and you're joining us with the latest. That's right, Shelley. We first revealed the allegations against Dr. Dunch in 2013 of case after case of bot surgeries of alleged drug abuse and reckless indifference toward his patients, patients who will now try to help put him behind bars. Victims and their attorneys say Dunch was building a resume of alleged botched surgeries of paralyzed patients and in two cases, death. While Dunch was operating on Lee Passmore of Frisco, an assisting surgeon had to intervene. Jim Gerrards is Passmore's attorney. Dr. Dunch had to be physically restrained by the surgeon that was operating with him because uh, that second surgeon recognized that Dunch uh, was doing things that were not explainable, that were extremely dangerous. Other patients have similar stories. Dunch's former roommate Jerry Summers will never walk again. Hospital staff knew uh, that Dr. Dunch had a gallon jug of vodka under his desk, that a baggie of white powder had been found in his uh, bathroom. Dunch remains behind bars tonight on $600,000 bond.
He was taken into custody and denied all the allegations. For alleging and none of it's true, it's easy defendable. None of these petitions, even for these people, they never went forward, they never litigated, and never deposed, never went to trial. I have nothing to hide. He was officially charged and pleaded not guilty. In Texas, the charge of injury to an elderly person carries a potential life sentence, but there were only four months left before the statute of limitations ran out. This was the big charge they were pushing to take to trial. As, for various reasons, if they could obtain a conviction for this, it would be worth more in terms of years than any of the other charges. One lawyer said it's not worth an attorney's time and energy to take on a malpractice case. The outcome, sadly, would just not be worth it. The prosecution knew this was a tough case, but their goal was to get a sentence long enough to ensure he would never be able to practice medicine again. To the relief of the prosecution, Dunch was criminally charged in the maiming of Mary Eford. And this was the charge that went to trial. Former neurosurgeon who was once a rising star in his medical field is now in jail on felony charges. Fox Force Natalie Solis tells us how the malpractice claims against him became a criminal investigation. Christopher Dunch on Facebook when he had a thriving medical practice. And Dunch Tuesday, just a few years later, booked into the Dallas County Jail. James Gerards represents one of Dunch's former patients who sued the former neurosurgeon in civil court after a botched surgery. It is so rare for a district attorney to prosecute a physician. Dallas police picked him up Tuesday afternoon on the assault charges near a Richardson motel. Typically when uh, a physician is targeted for a criminal prosecution, the industry rallies around that physician. Uh, for that reason, it's a real gut check for a district attorney to indict a physician for something that he was doing professionally. But Dunch stands out. This one is so egregious that it, the information just couldn't be controlled. Well, since 2013, Dunch has been back and forth between Dallas and Colorado, where he was put on probation for DWI. But it appears Dunch does not have legal representation so far for these latest charges. Now, we did put in a request to do a jailhouse interview to get his side of the story. We have not gotten a response. Well, we're hearing this trial could last several weeks. It actually presents a lot of interesting legal questions. Uh, can a botched surgery rise to the level, you know, be more than just malpractice? Can it rise to the level of a criminal act? And that's uh, something this jury will have to answer. Dunch opted not to testify in his own defense. Despite the fact they were only focused on Mary's case, they still had a huge amount of people that were willing to testify against him to prove his negligence in the years before he even met Mary. Doctors Randall and Henderson took to the stand, as did Jerry via a video link from his home. Mary herself also testified. What are we looking at here in State's Exhibit 4? My back, the scar on my back. I could not move my feet and legs, and my thoughts were something is wrong. I've never had pain like that before. It was just almost, it was a 10 plus. I said, he will never touch me again. The prosecution said it was obvious he had intentionally, knowingly and recklessly harmed up to 15 of his patients, although we know there were many more people affected. Jeff Cheney woke up from his operation to find out that Dunch had removed part of his spinal cord by mistake, paralyzing the entire right side of his body. Jackie Troy found herself unable to talk as Dunch had paralysed her vocal cords. Philip Mayfield paralysed from the neck down. Marshall Muse spiralled into addiction after relying on pain pills following his surgery. 
and Pam Trusty feels lucky to be alive. However, Dunch's legal team claimed that he was not a criminal, just a lousy surgeon and a lazy person. He didn't know he was risking anything. It was careless. It was wrong. But it's not to the level of criminal. They said him committing malpractice was due to chaotic operating rooms and hospitals in Dallas. And as for the emails he wrote to his ex-girlfriend Kimberly saying he would become a killer, they said it was simply sarcasm taken badly. The jury in the Dr. Christopher Dunch case will hear closing statements tomorrow. Defense attorneys sought to portray him as an inexperienced, poorly trained surgeon. Is it fair for, for Christopher Dunch, who was enabled to do these surgeries, who couldn't have done it without the help of all of these big hospitals, all these other doctors, is it right for him to go away, to be thrown away when all of them profited? All of them have blood on their hands. The only way that this happens is that um, the entire system fails the patients. Um, again, it, it, there are multiple um, things that have to occur in order for, uh, for us to be here. The carnage he caused was not a mistake or an accident. He did virtually everything wrong. So to be able to do that much wrong, I felt that he must have known it some point in time how to do it right it was it was that egregious did he follow the hippocratic oath it's major tenant um first do no harm he certainly didn't dr robert henderson testified he was called in to try to correct dunch's surgery calling eford's case an atrocity and questioned dunch's qualifications i became concerned whether or not he was a physician Dunch's attorneys agree he made mistakes. They just say prosecutors can't prove it was knowing, reckless, or intentional. Even his lead attorney said, you have people in walkers, you have people on crutches, you have people that could barely move. You had people that had lost loved ones. You had all sorts of things that had gone wrong. Before we even get to Mary, you can see that it's going downhill. I mean, it's going downhill fast. So why didn't he stop, Michelle asked. Because of greed. Because he owed people a lot of money. He wanted to live the high life and a neurosurgeon makes big bucks. Why didn't he stop? Because he had no conscience. He doesn't care what he has left in his wake. In court, Dunch was calm and collected. His lawyer later said he truly and honestly thought he was doing a good job, and this all seemed shocking to him. He said until the expert started speaking, it seemed he was clueless as to the damage he caused. So this is not providing any stability at all. There's bone fragments just laying over the exposed dura here on the left side. The jury took just four hours to return their verdicts. When the jury unanimously find that Christopher Daniel guilty. In July 2016, he was found guilty of one count of intentionally or knowingly causing serious bodily harm to an elderly individual. Dunch's family begged for some mercy when it came to the sentencing. They described him as a bright little boy who had taken care of sick birds and loved dogs. They acknowledged his issues, but said everything he did came from a place of wanting to help people. His dad, Don, said... He's been devastated. He has nothing. He's lost everything. He doesn't have his family. 
He doesn't have his career. He doesn't have his companies. He doesn't have his medical license. And I think what happened is, is that as things began to fall apart, the only thing he knew was to try harder. Jury having found the defendant, Christopher Daniel Dunch, guilty of injury to an elderly individual as charged in the indictment, unanimously assessed his punishment and confinement in the Institutional Division of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice for life. In February 2017, Christopher Dunch was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 30 years. Six o'clock, a former North Texas doctor learning that he will spend the rest of his life in prison. And so we're overwhelmed. And uh, this is my daughter. And uh, this is a voice for Kelly. And we're, we're so thankful, and uh, hopefully we can move on with our life. I'm just so grateful from the bottom of my heart. This will not bring my mother back, but it is some sense of justice. This is what I wanted. This is what I waited four and a half years for. He believed that everyone else was just humans, and this was his playground, and he could build anything sell anything, ruin anything, and he would not suffer the consequences. We are so elated about the life sentence that has been handed down in this case today. There have been other filings from other patients against Dunch, but we hear from the district attorney's office tonight that they do not plan to seek any criminal charges from those cases at this point. As for Dunch and his legal team, they did make it clear today that they plan to appeal. He filed an appeal in 2018, but his conviction was upheld. He's not eligible for parole until 2045, when he will be 74 years old. This case set a huge precedent. It is the first time in the United States that a physician has been convicted of criminal charges for actions in the course of their medical work. In June 2023, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill into law that would give the state's medical board additional ability to protect patients from potentially dangerous doctors. The bill, HB 1998, was introduced in response to an investigation that found at least 49 doctors were practicing in Texas, despite having their licenses revoked in other states. To think about how many people these doctors were treating is shocking. There was no record of these actions on the Texas Medical Board's physician profile pages, despite being required by law. The new law includes several provisions which will better enable the board to protect patients and boost transparency. These include some of the following. Lying on a medical license application will be a Class A misdemeanor. Doctors who have had their medical licenses revoked, restricted or suspended in another state will not be allowed to practice in Texas. All doctors will be required to be fingerprinted as part of a criminal background check and be monitored monthly via the National Practitioner Data Bank. The four hospitals that employ Dunch have ongoing civil cases against them as well. Sadly, not reporting these things is not uncommon. In 2011, a staggering 47% of hospitals did not report their restrictions or revocations of doctors' clinical privileges leaving the doors wide open for the lack of paper trail to be taken advantage of. Questions had to be answered, and accountability had to be taken. It highlighted the systemic problems within the healthcare field, all the way to the top. The hospital officials, which allowed him to leave rather than firing him and having him investigated, issued a statement which read, 
our primary concern, as always, is with patients. Out of respect for the patients and families involved, and the privileged nature of a number of details, we must continue to limit our comments. There is nothing more important to us than serving our community through high-quality, trusted healthcare. Trying to comprehend the amount of damage and destruction that Christopher Dunch has caused is impossible. Between May 2011 and June 2013, Dunch performed surgery on 38 people. 32 of them were left with life-changing injuries, in some cases completely paralysed, and two had died. His case became quite a big part of mainstream media, with a hugely successful podcast being launched about it and it was even made into a TV show on Peacock called Dr. Death. Good morning, I'm Dr. Christopher Dunch. Patient presented with severe back pain diagnosed as a herniated disc. It is important we are in and out with as little fanfare as possible. It was an all-star cast, with Joshua Jackson playing Dunch and Christian Slater playing Dr. Randall Kirby. And this brings us to the amazing doctors that helped put an end to his career. One has to wonder if it wasn't for the perseverance of Dr. Kirby and Dr. Henderson, how much longer would Dunch have continued? Tragically, a third victim's life would be claimed when, in 2021, Jerry Summers, Dunch's patient and once dear friend, died from an infection connected to his botched surgery. We trust that when we need them, people in Christopher Dunch's position of authority, knowledge and power will look after us. They will care for us, they will make us better. We put our faith and trust in them, that they will turn things around even when the odds might seem stacked against us. We hope that we are in good and safe hands. For the families that were affected by the crimes of Christopher Dunch, that trust will likely forever be broken. Kelly's husband, Don Martin, said, My whole lifestyle has changed. Everything is different now. I look at life differently, totally differently. Life is too precious, too short. We can't take the little things for granted. We're just trying to make the best of each day.